Welcome to the Books and Travel podcast. I'm Jo Francis-Penn, thriller and dark fantasy author, bringing you escape and inspiration about unusual and fascinating places, as well as the deeper side of books and travel. You can find the episode show notes at booksandtravel.page. And if you enjoy thrillers set in international locations, download one of my ebooks for free at jfpen.com forward slash free. Hello, travellers. I'm Jo Francis Penn, and today I'm talking about the city of life and death. Yes, New Orleans with Laura and Dan Martone. So New Orleans is one of those cities that has a special place in the imagination of a lot of travellers, even if you haven't been there. It's famous for loving life, for Mardi Gras parades, a vibrant music scene, drinking and eating and gorgeous architecture in the French Quarter. But it's also known as the City of the Dead, with cemeteries, voodoo, ghost stories, vampires and, of course, the devastation of Hurricane Katrina. So in today's episode, native New Orleanian Laura Martone and adopted son of the city, her husband Dan, talk about the history of the French Quarter and some of the haunted buildings there, the best cemeteries to visit, vampires, voodoo and Creole cuisine, as well as what they love about the place. So I visited New Orleans in March 2017. I got the Amtrak train down from Chicago with some other writers, which I talked about with Jay Thorne in episode 18. And I spent a week in the city writing and also researching. So I am a taffophile, a lover of graveyards. I find them incredibly peaceful. I take a lot of pictures. Uh, and the City of the Dead is known for its wonderful cemeteries. So on my first available day, I went on a tour out of the historic Voodoo Museum, which is excellent. The wonderful guide, Norlin's Nate, took us on a walk around the French Quarter. He explained the voodoo history and also talked about the slave trade. Then we had a tour of St. Louis No. 1 Cemetery that inspired the opening scenes of Valley of Dry Bones, which is partially set in the city. And that Valley of Dry Bones is my uh, arcane, one of my arcane thrillers, and it does feature a number of... Um, uh, scenes in New Orleans. So I later visited the St. Louis Cathedral and found a copy of the Toledo Bible, which led me to visit Toledo in Spain a year later. And I'll have to write about that another time. Uh, but the links between the Spanish Inquisition and New Orleans, as well as San Francisco, might surprise you. Now, I love finding these threads of history that weave cultures together. And New Orleans is one of those places where it lies just below the surface. So trust me on this. Skip Bourbon Street and head straight for the Voodoo Museum and the cemeteries and you won't be disappointed. One of the other wonderful things I did was go kayaking in the Louisiana Bayou. I went with a company called New Orleans Kayak Swamp Tours, and I highly recommend this. Uh, you don't need to be a good kayaker. It's very slow going, but brilliant to see that side of Louisiana, uh, obviously, with the uh, alligators um, around, but they're, you know, they're just hanging around. Um, and the cypress knees, which I had never seen before, which, you know, 
you can Google Cypress knees or look at some of the pictures on the blog post. And um, also the Spanish moss hanging from the trees, uh, the bird life, uh, and also learn about the ecosystem of the bayou. So I put a lot of that experience into Valley of Dry Bones. There is a scene set out in the bayou and, uh, and in fact, kayaking. <laughs> so I do put a lot of my own travel experiences into my thrillers. And I, if I went back, and I think I definitely want to go back, it's one of those places I felt very at home, um, I would kayak again. It really was one of the most special things I did. Uh, so yeah, I love New Orleans. And in fact, one of the first things we do is talk about the pronunciation. So if you're concerned about mine, uh, listen on. Right, so let's get into the interview. Laura and Daniel Martone write fiction in multiple genres, including space opera, post-apocalyptic and urban fantasy. They lived in the French quarter of New Orleans for many years and produced several audio walking guides. Laura has also written a guidebook to the city, and they now live in their RV, Serenity, and travel between New Orleans and Michigan. Welcome, Laura and Dan. Hey, Joe. Hi, it's so good to be here. <laughs> it's great to have you on the show. So before we get into the questions, I have to ask about the pronunciation of <laughs> New Orleans, because I think I got it from the song, um, you know, the animal song, The House of the mm-hmm. Rising Sun. Um, yeah. But when I was there with you guys, people pronounce it differently. So let's start with pronunciation. Okay. Um, yeah, I, you know, the funny thing is Dan always makes fun of me that I don't have a New Orleans accent and I don't, but my whole family does, but I, I definitely, obviously, you know, have been there long enough to know New Orleans is how I think most people pronounce it. That's how I say it, but people do say New Orleans. The thing that I think a lot of natives hate is Nolans because Nolans is like this sort of, I don't know, hybrid or something. And it, and it's definitely more of a, a manufactured thing you know some people will say it jokingly but I think New Orleans is pretty yeah. pretty standard yeah yeah, yeah fantastic <laughs> okay so start by telling us a bit more about your links to the city and how you both came to live and work there <laughs> um okay I well I was born and raised there so it's it's my hometown and it's my favorite American city it always has been we've both traveled a lot throughout the U.S. and other countries so you know, we, we've had a lot to compare it to and it's just, there's no place like New Orleans. So I, I left for college when I was 17 and ended up at Northwestern University in the Chicago area. And after graduation met Dan and Dan's a little older than me, but, um, we met at a job just a wee bit. And, um, I, we met at a job and we stayed in Chicago for a little bit and then hit the road the first time in another RV and ended up settling in Los Angeles because we both were in, you know, interested in being in the film industry, um, as screenwriters and, and filmmakers. And so, um, we were there for several years and then hurricane Katrina hit and it destroyed all of my homes, but one, all of my childhood homes. And I just felt this pull that it was time to go back. So we went we went there and we um, started a film festival to kind of bring some awareness to what was happening in the city and, you know, try to be a part of the rebirth of the city. And Dan just fell in love with New Orleans. Like it suddenly became his favorite place and (laughs) definitely his home. And I mean, he's an incredible cook. So as you would imagine, New Orleans is an amazing place for a cook to be. Um, and he, you know, has completely embraced the cuisine of, of the region and everything. So that's how we ended up being there. And then we, we ended up having an apartment and, uh, staying in the city on and off for a good decade before we hit the road again in, you know, our second RV. So, 
the, the funny thing is uh, most New Orleanians um, don't think of anybody that's been there for only like 10 years as a true New, or- New Orleanian. Um, but for most, for the most part, I get to uh, blend right in with the natives. Well, they he, don't, they he, don't really realize that no. I haven't been there. <laughs> he married a New Orleanian. So it kind of counts, but also um, he just, he loves the city and we often joke or he often jokes that he knows it better than I do at this point, which to a certain degree might be true. So that's <laughs> <laughs> how we came to be there. And now it's just, it's pulling us back. Like, it's even home. though, yeah, it's, it's definitely home. So even, even with serenity, we always kind of find ourselves back there. And yeah, well, oh, that's really interesting. And, um, so you, you lived in the French quarter and, and we'll come back to that in the history side. Um, oh no, no, sorry. I'm just, uh, I'm jumping ahead. Uh, no, that bit. <laughs> actually you didn't even mention the French quarter. So, um, Dan, maybe you can talk about like where you lived and what it means to you, um, as not a native. Well, yeah, we, we lived in various apartments in the French quarter and that is, the, the, the quarter is the center of the city. I mean, that's Bucharest. Mm-hmm. It means, you know, uh, right. Old square, old square. Yeah, right. In and the city was built around that. So a lot of the history starts in the French quarter. And it's one of those places, especially in America, because unlike Europe, most of America is so new, you know, they're, they're cities that are only 50 years old, hundred years old. Well, New Orleans is one of the oldest cities and you could just feel the history walking through the quarter, even after, you know, various uh, disasters have hit. It's mm-hmm. still inspiring. So mm-hmm. I mean, we lived uh, in various apartments where, you know, we would hear the uh, the carriages go by with mm-hmm. the tourists. You hear the clip clop of the yeah. uh, of the horses going by um, and pretty much everything about it was inspiring for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and more right. I just fell in love with the city. And I loved the quarter as a kid. My mom had lived in the quarter when she was a young woman. And I so I never got to live there. So it was kind of fun coming back as an adult and being able to actually live there with Dan, who appreciates it so much. So that was incredible for me, too, even though, you know, I was a native. Yeah. And I love Sorry. Every, every building in the uh, in, in the French Quarter is haunted. Yes, <laughs> there is. There is a ghost story for almost every builder. Yes, that's true. And I think, you know, maybe that is because of the, the European history. And I think when I came to the city, I felt very at home there as well. And that probably is that European influence. Um, I felt probably the same way in San Francisco and mm-hmm. uh, New York. I absolutely feel at home in as well. Um, and it's it's interesting because, of course, the French Quarter, I then started to research more about the history of the city for my a novel, Valley of Dry Bones. And it's actually Spanish, right? So can, can you right, explain yeah. more about the history between the French and the Spanish? Right. Well, it's an occupation thing. So, you know, the French did establish New Orleans there. Um, but then this, when Spain took it over for a time, it. bought it and took it over for a time, there were horrible fires in the late 1700s uh, in New Orleans that that really decimated a lot of the French Quarter. There are some some, you know, buildings like Old Ursuline Convent and Lafitte's Blacksmith Shop Bar that uh, predate the fires and that, you know, managed to survive. But for the most part, it was pretty devastated. So because the Spanish were in control at the time, they rebuilt it. And they rebuilt it with their influence, which is, you know, the wrought iron grill work and all of the the way, you know, just the way that the buildings, a lot of the buildings look. And so that is what happened. It was definitely it was the French Quarter. And I think people 
you know, obviously still call it that because that's what it was. I mean, that's historically what what we called it. And we do have such French influence, you know, in like Cajun and Creole cuisine. I mean, the French definitely have influenced our culture there. So um, it makes sense that it's still called that. But yes, it's a little odd that the architecture is more Spanish. Yeah. And some of the the history, like you go into um, uh, the place next to the church there and there's this picture of the Spanish friar and who was at the head of the Inquisition. And I just had no idea about that side um, of the the place before I I got there. But you mentioned um, some hauntings. So tell us about sort of one of the, uh, I guess, most famous hauntings or one of the more interesting ones that you like. Well, I mean, obviously we did... uh, uh a uh, ghost tour audio tour for it. I mean, there are a lot of uh, places that are haunted there. One of the places that Laura and I lived, uh, we lived in this building and we discovered that there was a story about an old woman who would show up in the upper window with a light. And we did some research and we found out that the forming of Texas early in the U.S. when Texas was trying to form its own country, the organization was done in our building. So like the founders of Texas met in our building and the light was supposed to be a a signal to them that they, you know, can come and it was safe to to enter the building, that they weren't being watched. That's that's a story that's really not that well known. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, there are so many well-known stories um, Right. And I, well, and I mean, obviously the LaLaurie mansion would be probably one of the most famous ones in that area. I mean, I, it, you know, it's, there are conflicting stories about what happened, but it's, but basically the idea is that it was a pretty much a, a, a horror show. You know, the, the woman there, Madame LaLaurie, who, uh, you know, lived there had slaves and apparently abused the slaves. And so there was a fire that broke out and uh, some of the slaves were killed. And then afterwards, it was discovered that basically they had been, you know, mutilated and and just horrible things happened to them. Now, whether that's all true or not, uh, I, there are questions, but it's still considered one of the more haunted, you know, places. And it definitely there is something creepy about it for sure. But as far as hauntings go, I think Dan and I are both kind of hopeful skeptics. Nothing has ever really happened to us that, but we it's like we want it to, you know, and we kind of believe. <laughs> In the the feeling, I mean, it's like the history and the creepiness are definitely palpable, Um, especially like late at night. If you're walking, you know, around in the quarter in the wee hours and it's foggy, it's it's really almost easy to think that you're you're 300, you know, you're back in the 300 years ago. I mean, there's just something about it that feels uh, perpetually old, you know, and historic and just filled with spirit. So it's it's neat. I, I love it there. I mean, one of the other aspects is uh, a lot of the buildings have had multiple uses throughout the centuries. Right. Um, and when you find out that some of them were a hospital during the Civil War mm-hmm. and knowing how many people died in those buildings. And so, I mean, a lot of the, the ghost stories are based around that or like the Jackson Hotel where mm-hmm. it used to be an orphanage. And, you know, back then a lot of kids died as well. So that people talk about hearing children you know, giggling through the hallways and creepy stuff like that. Right. And I think, you know, part of it is New Orleans. It's because of its history. You know, it's uh, there were pirates and it's a, it's a port city. So there, you know, it, there were hurricanes and yellow fever epidemics and fires. So all of those disasters, obviously, you know, 
well, killed a lot of people. And so that that's part of why it's considered so haunted. But the thing that I also love about New Orleans is it's a very resilient city. I mean, I think one of its nicknames is the city that care forgot. And basically it, you know, it's, it's a city that always seems to rise from the ashes again, even Katrina. So I, I love that too. And I think it, it, that, that we are very resilient people, Dan and I, and have been through our own, you know, adversity and, and gotten through it. So I think that we just really connect to the spirit of the city. Mm. And again, you know, in Europe, we just take it for granted that loads of people died everywhere that we live. I mean, that's, you know, I'm, I'm um, where I live right now in Bath in the southwest of England. This was a, a Roman spa town, you know, so right. there's, there's been people here for thousands of years. So it's, it's so funny whenever I come to America and like I was yeah. in Orlando, which to me, I think Orlando must be the opposite of New Orleans. <laughs> I mean, as in it really is so new and, you know, with none of that, that history. But let's, um, let's stay with death because you have this great book, Zombie Chaos, and I love zombie books. Um, and it's based in the city. And in fact, some people have even commented that it's got quite a tour aspect to it, which is very cool. And when you took me on a tour of the city, we visited some of the famous graveyards. So talk about those ones. What are the best ones to visit? Any unusual things to watch? out for? Um, well, I, I think that um, the first one, probably the most obvious one, and this is the one that tourists do go to, but I think there, there is a reason for it. One of the oldest ones is St. Louis Cemetery, number one, and that is just outside the quarter. It's in it's in an area called the Treme. And so um, it used to be that you could go take a tour on your own, which is we were developing actually a cemetery tour for it when uh, there was a bit of vandalism, I guess, um, someone was trying to, okay, in, I'll just explain this really quick. In there, there is a tomb that is considered Marie Laveau's tomb. Now, there again is a question as to whether her bones actually are in the tomb or if it's just sort of represent, you know, representative of her. She was the voodoo queen of New Orleans, very big part of the city. And so a lot of people go to the tomb and they will leave like little favors for her and they will mark three X's on on the tomb and stuff like that and and then ask for something in return and the the idea is that if you knock three times you write three x's you leave little trinkets she will you know grant your wish and so there was a lot of uh markings on it and i think someone in the middle of the night decided to what refurbish it by repainting it uh i guess thought they were doing a good thing but because of that the city kind of panicked and now you have to go on a tour through the archdiocese the Catholic Archdiocese, um, in order to to see it. So it's changed it a little bit, and we abandoned our tour because of it, because the whole idea of our tours is that they're self-guided. You know, um, you listen to them, and you can go on your own pace. But it's a fascinating place. The the tomb is is great to, to see. And then because our sister city is Cairo, Egypt, Nicolas Cage and his infinite wisdom decided to build a, a tomb that's in the shape of a pyramid. And it kind of sticks out like a sore thumb in a very old cemetery, but it is <laughs> worth seeing because it's kind of amusing. Um, and of course, and- as we talk, he is not dead. That's just for the future. Oh, oh yes, let's be clear. I'm sorry. Yes, he is not. This is like, he loves New Orleans. There are a lot of famous people that love New Orleans, Brad Pitt, Nicolas Cage, and they have done a lot for the city. Like Brad Pitt did a lot after Hurricane Katrina with real re- rebuilding some houses and stuff. So it's it's very important to a lot of people who aren't even from the city. And so, yes, Nicolas Cage, who once owned the LaLaurie Mansion, the, the haunted one that, that I spoke of a little while ago, he decided he wanted to live there forever. So that's why he bought the, the tomb. But yes, he is still 
alive and well uh, at the moment. And so um, I would say that one is a good one to start. But our favorite is actually the Lafayette Cemetery, which is in um, the Garden District of Uptown. So you can take the streetcar to get there. But what's great about it is it's very influential. It's uh, it actually inspired Anne Rice who obviously is a you know big big author big person from from the city uh, who's written you know interview with a vampire and other books that have been definitely heavily influenced uh, by New Orleans and so it's it's a great place to go for inspiration um, and you can walk around on your own um, so it's not the same as you know as other cemeteries and there's a really great little area in it uh, called the secret garden that's these four tombs that were these four philanthropists that were friends and in life did a lot of like anonymous philanthropy and decided they wanted to live forever together. And so they built these four little tombs in this sort of secret, secret garden that's off in a corner. And it's just, it's just lovely. You know, it's a lovely, peaceful place. I think a lot of people think of cemeteries as creepy, but there's just something very peaceful about it. And it happens to be right across the street from Commander's Palace, which is one of the most famous restaurants in the city, which is kind of funny. Um, but anyway, yeah, so I would I would recommend those two for sure. Yeah, I mean, I love Lafayette. And I, I think we took you there, Joe, when you were in town. Yes, and um, Lindsay, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I think the great thing about it is, like Laura said, it's so peaceful. You can go find a bench and get a little work done if you want. I mean, mm-hmm. it's in, very inspiring. Yeah. And the reason why Anne Rice – it actually is in the movie interview with the vampire uh she lived in the neighborhood at the time that's why she was so heavily influenced by the cemetery um and i think you can do a little research online and find where she actually used to live Mm -hmm. oh yeah yeah Mm. didn't she uh launch one of her books by getting in a hearse pretending to be you know sort of dead and then riding through the city to the to the graveyard that is yes i mean i've heard that i never saw it unfortunately well, that, but yes that <laughs> that was actually i think the beginning of her uh she has at one point was conducting every halloween a vampire party right the lestat you know it was a vampire, vampire party ball, and, yeah. they're, and they're still going on now but she actually doesn't run them and i think that was the first one and i think she did a little tour uh, with the with the hearse, uh, the rolling hearse. I think it was actually carriage drawn, yeah, which is so cool. But since we we just touched on vampires, there um, coming back to the French Quarter, um, isn't there some legend about the convent? There's a reason why vampires are associated with New Orleans. The, the casket girls. Yes, yes. I, I think uh, I'm not really sure how the the vampire aspect of it got uh, uh, created because the the casket girls are these. Uh, Young girls that came to New Orleans, I think it was in the uh, uh, 1760s, 1770s. I can't remember exactly. Well, they they brought cases. They brought cases with them that resembled coffins where they they had all of their all of their possessions. So the the whole tale is that there were vampires in each one of those. Yes. And some stories say, well, the the casket girls were the caretakers of the vampires. Uh, Some say they had brought them to actually rid New Orleans of all the crime. Um, so basically let the vampires loose and go kill all the criminals and bad people and then come back to their coffins. Um, 
I, but, I, I think they had their clothes and shoes in those cases. Personally. But, you know, I mean, again, it's all part of the charm of the city. I mean, in a lot of places play up the, the haunted aspect and yeah, the vampire aspects fun. and stuff like that. But, yeah, yeah, which is which is very cool. And um, of course, we have to mention zombies because you have yeah. your zombie chaos book. Um, and of course, I've I've written about voodoo and I did a fantastic voodoo tour and, you know, learned more about Marina Vo and that type of thing. Um, so what is the association? with um, voodoo, why is it such a big part of the city as well? I mean, I think a lot of that has to do with Marie Laveau. Um, she was such a central figure from, I mean, I think she was born in the, the early 1800s. Uh, she came to prominence in eight, like 1830s um, as someone that people could go to for advice. Or if you were a woman in the city, you could go to uh, and she would help, you know, solve their love problems. Uh do favors for people. She was just really entwined with everything that was going on in the city. Um, but I think voodoo itself goes back to also uh, Congo Square. Well, and the Caribbean influence. That's right. another thing we didn't mention that even though the, the thing I think that makes New Orleans so special, or one of many things that makes it special, is the combination of the European and the Caribbean influence. And you even see that in the in the architecture too. A lot of the little Caribbean style bungalows and stuff like that. Um, you know, for instance, in the in the Faubourg Marigny, which is next to the the quarter, and um, so I think that voodoo actually came from Haiti too. You right. know, and when when Haitians came here um, as slaves or whatever else, um, I think that 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 heavily influences it because Catholicism is very important, you know, in Haiti as well, and so it, so is it in New Orleans. So that combination of Catholicism and voodoo um, is is a very you know rich part of of the, our heritage. Um, and so, yeah, I think Marie Laveau was a big part of it, but also because she, like I said, she was considered the voodoo queen of New Orleans. But I think that the Caribbean influence and the voodoo from there, from the islands, is definitely a big, big part of why, you know, that mm. that is important to the city. Yeah. Which- and um, what, another thing that struck me, uh, I think, you know, again, because I come from a very multiracial society and in different places in the US, like different places in England, are, are some are more multiracial and others are not. Mm-hmm. And of course, New Orleans is very um, multiracial, multicultural, however you want to talk about it. But it does seem mm-hmm. very integrated compared yeah. to other places that I've traveled. So um, how does that affect the, um, the city and, and how the energy is, I guess? Um, well, I think, you know, that's part of the, the Cajun and the Creole influence. Cajun is more, um, I guess you'd say white, white folks from Canada, French um, you know, French, French, yeah, French, um, Canadians. And then, um, the Creole influence is more of a mixture of European and Caribbean. And, um, I think, I think it's a big part of it. I mean, the, the, um, you know, African-American neighborhoods are a very big part of the history Congo Square. That's what Dan just mentioned. That's now in Louis Armstrong Park in the Treme was uh, the site of a lot of celebrations. It's where uh, supposedly jazz got its start. You know, so so that's the other thing. Music is a huge part of New Orleans and jazz and blues. A lot of um, our seminal, you know, musical styles in the country came from New Orleans and that's something that we love because we love music and live music, especially. So um, you, you definitely feel that, feel that that cultural influence and jazz and blues obviously is a big part of that, a big part of the African-American culture. Um, the food, the food, there's a lot of, you know, soul food restaurants and stuff like that and things that um, 
you know, uh, you, you really get a sense of the multicultural aspects. And then Mardi Gras Indians at Mardi Gras time are um, traditionally African-Americans from, from the, the African-American neighborhoods. And they are so much fun. That's a, that's a big part of Mardi Gras. And um, so, yeah, I think, I think it's, it's, you see it every day, you see it everywhere, you eat it, you know, <laughs> it's, you hear it. Um, mm. you definitely feel the, the mix of cultures. Yeah, and I think that's what makes New Orleans very special. Yeah, I really enjoyed that aspect of it. And I mean, you mentioned the music there and the Mardi Gras. And um, so we've got to talk about that because, of course, the graveyards and the city of death and everything is one side. But uh, other people associate the city with booze and beads and, right. you know, boobs <laughs> and, you know, really have ha- has this kind of over the top party atmosphere. But again, you mentioned the Indians there. And I just had no clue that they were, as you say, African-American and they, there's it's a, it's taken very seriously. It's a lot oh, more yeah. than just kind of tourist stuff. So talk about uh, Mardi Gras and Carnival. Well, I mean, as far as the Mardi Gras Indians go, um, I don't even know how many tribes there are. Yeah, currently. there are a lot of tribes. But uh, these these guys are a big part of the celebration of Mardi Gras. They work on these costumes, these really intricate feathered costumes the entire year. And they have a chief, uh, and they're very, very serious yeah. with flag boy. They all have you know different positions and stuff. And, and it's if, during Mardi Gras. You, if if you're in a right the right place, you could see two tribes face off. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, there are rumors that it all started. The Mardi Gras Indian tradition all started in order to avoid violence back way back when. Mm-hmm. But uh, now, when you see them face off, they start to dance and they and they they uh, sing at each other, mm-hmm. and it is an amazing sight to see these guys in eighty pound feathered costumes uh, dancing, saying, "You know, I'm the big chief," and then right. the other one would be like, "I'm the big chief." Um, yeah, it's a lot of music and dance and color and revelry and the and and the song Ico Ico. Yeah. Uh, if you listen to the song Ico Ico, um, that would explain some of it. You know, you would hear some of the some of the catchphrases and and the the words that are associated with Mardi Gras Indians. And they're kind of like the Indian, the Indian factor is that it's sort of like they're, they feel like they're sort of a unique version of American Indians. You know, it's like they're the natives, the native culture of new Orleans and everything. So that's kind of how that relates to Indians. Um, But of course it's all, it's a new Orleans style, even though yes, they have feathers and big headdresses like American Indians. It's all very new Orleans, you know, the colors, um, a lot of a lot of Mardi Gras colors you'll see purple, purple, gold, and green, but lots of other stuff too. And um, I, yeah, they're fascinating, but you have to kind of be in the right place because they take it very seriously. So it's not quite like the Mardi Gras parades; they're not as commercial as a lot of Mardi Gras. So it's like you have to be in some of the you know the, the neighborhoods yeah. off the beaten path to see it happen. But it is amazing; it's amazing to see. Um, and then Mardi Gras in general, I remember when I went to Northwestern as a freshman and I was young, I was 17. I remember when I told people I was from New Orleans immediately, I think everyone I met was like, oh, Mardi Gras. They always associated <laughs> immediately. And, and so it kind of annoyed me, I think, as, as you know, a young woman. But yes, it's definitely a huge part of it. And even though Dan and I aren't like completely fond of huge crowds and especially like drunken, you know, crowds. It's fun to see the revelry. I mean, people have so much fun and really let themselves, you know, just let loose at Mardi Gras. Um, and we definitely have our favorite um, parades. I mean, there's so many parades and they go on. It's not just Mardi Gras day, Fat Tuesday. Um, 
which is the day before Ash Wednesday, again, very Catholic influence. Um, it's, it goes for weeks before that. And so, you know, you see all these different parades and our favorite ones are uh, the crew of Chewbacca, which is a sci-fi fantasy one, which is awesome. And then the crew of Barkus. both of those are, are play on the crew of Bacchus, which is one of our super crews. That's one of the oldest parades. And usually like the grand Vegas. marshals or celebrities, you know, people you'd recognize actors and singers. Um, and so crew of Chewbacca is uh, obviously a play on that. It's a Star Wars reference. And crew of Barkus is um, pets. It's all dogs dressed up and stuff. <laughs> it's just great. It used to go right past our apartment on St. Anne. And that was awesome. We would just walk right outside and with a bowl of water for the passing puppies and just watch them. And it was it was awesome. That was great. Um, there's another one called Crew de View, which happens usually in the early part of the, the season. It goes through the French Quarter. It's one of the few um you know, parades that do go through the French Quarter. And it um, it's usually very irreverent. You know, it's usually making fun of like President Trump or whatever, whatever is going on, usually in a political sphere. And it's pretty it's pretty raunchy, but it's pretty hilarious. And it's very New Orleans. Um, we we got married um, on January 6, 2001 in Las Vegas. We uh, at that time did not live in New Orleans. I, of course, was from there. And for some reason, it completely missed my awareness that January 6th is actually the start of the carnival season. That's King's Day. And I thought, how funny is that, that it sort of like foreshadowed our, you know, connection to the city and that we would one day call it home. And it's just weird because I just didn't, I just wasn't even, I was totally clueless at the time. Early yeah. 20s, didn't even think about it. That's and why I always tell her she's, she's a bad New Orleanian. I am. I'm a bad New Orleanian. <laughs> New Orleanian. So uh, talking of partying, any particular things to eat or drink while in the city? Okay, I'll let Dan because he's awesome I, at I, cooking. I was this. telling Laura if 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 you remember uh, the Forrest Gump uh, when Bubba's going through his list of uh, shrimp recipes, I could quite literally do the same thing for everything <laughs> that uh, I love about New Orleans cuisines. I mean, the drinks are one thing. You can find some interesting cocktails, like the it, Hurricane, which is which will knock you under the table. The hand grenade. People do not drink the hand yes, grenade. Please don't drink that. <laughs> it is, it's got like eight shots of alcohol it, in it'll it. It'll do bad things. Yeah. And, it, and it creates the whole drunken tourist uh, Right, thing. exactly. But I mean, as far as food goes, like Laura said, I, I love to cook, fell in love with the city. I mean, gumbo, jambalaya. Shrimp po'boys. Shrimp po'boys. Uh, every possible uh, right. uh, Cajun or Creole Crawfish recipe. etouffee. Yeah, yeah. And it and, goes on and on. And like Laura was saying earlier, the... the, the uh, city is really tied to seafood because you know we're, we're on the mississippi and we're close to the gulf so we get fresh shrimp mm -hmm. we get crawfish right um which is a very very big deal yes. in new orleans crawfish boils are like a social occasion yes they're awesome if you're gonna have a party you have a boil right um and I, that yeah i would say those are well and dan every summer up here when we're when we're in northern michigan um where uh we sometimes spend part of our summers um, Dan always does a seafood boil for the family and it's become like a yearly tradition now. They love it because it's our way of bringing a little bit of Louisiana up here. And, um, it is just so much fun. The way that it works is, you know, you boil, uh, whatever seafood you're going to boil and a bunch of vegetables, and then you just dump it on a, on a, like a picnic bench and people just attack it. And it's just awesome. Um, it's just, you know, again, part of the, yes, part, very social part of the revelry. So, so new Orleans, um, but I was going to add that uh, even though we have a lot of favorite restaurants, I mean, like we love getting raw oysters at Oceana in the French Quarter. Mona Lisa restaurant is this really great little Italian restaurant um, in the more residential part 
of the French Quarter that has a different Mona Lisa um, paintings all over the wall, like a Snoopy version. And it's really hilarious. It's like they and so they actually want you if you ever stumble upon a Mona Lisa, you know, some some kind of Mona Lisa painting, they want you to bring it in if possible. But it's a, that's a great little place. Um, but anyway, we have a lot of wonderful, you know, favorite restaurants, but Dan has completely spoiled me because he is seriously the best cook I know and, and completely gets the Cajun Creole cuisine. And so actually it's, it's difficult for me to eat out now in New Orleans because nothing ever quite tastes as good. <laughs> right, we're all coming, all coming to your place. I think one of the other things I know it's very touristy, but the beignets. Where do we get? What is a beignet, and where do people get them? Oh my gosh, beignets! I know it's so funny. They're very simple. Basically, they're just French donuts, like fried donuts with powdered sugar on them. I mean, it's like as basic as you can get, but they're delicious, and they're served throughout the city. The most famous place would be Cafe Du Monde which is uh, the, the, the original place is in the French Quarter as part of the French market. And um, it's this lovely old building, um, this beautiful green and white awning that everybody, you know, recognizes in the city. And it's open literally every day of the year, except from 6 p.m. on Christmas Eve and, and into Christmas Day. That's it. Otherwise, it is literally 365 days 24 hours a day. And all they do is they have an indoor part and an outdoor part. And like at, at late at night, they'll move everybody like to one or the other and then just spray down <laughs> the sidewalk and the, and the patio of all the powdered sugar. Cause of course that goes everywhere. Um, but it's great. And like, as a kid, you know, as, as a, a teenager in growing up in new Orleans, that was the place that kids went to after dances, you know, like we'd go to our high school prom and then go to cafe du Monde late at night and, and stuff ourselves with beignets. So it's definitely a huge part of, uh, growing up in New Orleans. And yes, if you visit, you absolutely have to have to try it. And then I personally like having it with a cup of cafe au lait, which is coffee that has a lot of milk and sugar in it. <laughs> okay, a lot of milk. I put a lot of sugar in it. If you visit Cafe Du Monde late at night and there are police officers in there in their full dress uniforms, you'll notice that they're not getting powdered sugar on their, yeah. on their uh, beignets. Because I'm quite sure they're not supposed to be in Cafe Du Monde Probably eating donuts. Not. Yes, and they're wearing black. It's, it's usually, hilarious. So they don't yeah. want it all over. It would be obvious <laughs> that they had stopped for beignets because it's impossible. No matter how hard you try, you will get it on you. It's like that's just you butter know, sugar that's everywhere. Yes, mm. that's, that's I must open. say I, I did enjoy my my beignets at Cafe Du Monde. It was <laughs> it was very good. But I want to come back to water. Um, you know, you you've mentioned Katrina. You mentioned the Mississippi there and the the seafood. Um, and I went kayaking. And out um, on the bayou there and went on a croc tour, sorry, alligator tour and, and that. Um, so explain a bit more about how water plays such a central part in, in the city. Um, well, I mean, I think there are both positive and negative aspects of it. Obviously, it was settled, you know, long ago, 300 plus years ago, um, because it was of its location. Um, it is kind of a swampy area so that you'll see that throughout the city too. a lot of broken sidewalks and stuff. Um, that's just the nature of it. You know, it's, that's why it's also a very hot, sultry place. Um, but anyway, it, I think that it being a port city is obviously the main reason that water is so important. We're right on the Mississippi river, very close to the Gulf seafood, um, is a big part of it. As a kid, fishing was an incredibly important activity with, for me and my dad, um, and my dad actually owned a fishing camp at one time that was out in the water. You could only get to it via a boat. And it was incredible. But Hurricane Katrina came along and took out a lot of stuff, including the fishing camp. And if you go out there now, it's just a bunch of pilings 
and like part of the dock. It's really sad because I have so many memories of that place and it's just gone. Um, and a lot of, a lot of places are like that, obviously after Katrina, because the water, the tidal surge was just so powerful that it just, you know, so that's the negative aspect. The fact that we're so close and we don't have as many barrier islands anymore, barrier wetlands. Yeah. I mean, that's part, part of that. And a lot of people will say, well, New Orleans is, you live in a bowl because it's below sea level. A lot of the city is. But, but the fact is, we used to have barrier islands and hundreds and hundreds and thousands of miles of wetlands protected the city. And they've gone away, not just because of Katrina mm-hmm. and not just because of hurricanes. Um, all along the Mississippi River uh, during the 20th century, they built levees to keep the water from flooding. Other what used towns. To, yeah, what used to be the floodplains. Mississippi used to flood every single year and they were great floods. I mean just enormous. Well, in order to prevent that, they built levees and it changed how the sediment flowed into the Gulf. The sediment was needed to rebuild our barrier islands. So eventually the barrier islands started to disappear. We still had all of the bayous, all of the land, the wetlands to protect us, but those started vanishing too because we gave the oil companies the rights to build canals through uh, all of the bayous. I mean, there is there is a uh, MRGO or what we call the Mr. Go uh, canal. The oil companies dug. It started off at 100 yards wide, and it's like 75 miles long. Right now, it's a mile wide, yeah. and all that does is bring uh, the salt water up into what is sometimes no longer even brackish. It just becomes salt water, and it kills the plants and erodes and the fish like a lot of times you know there are fish that are that are more freshwater versus saltwater so that's not necessarily great kind of combining right you know the the waters like that um and so that's kind of a negative aspect um and and so i I will say when hurricane katrina happened i was fiercely you know defending my city because you saw a lot of stuff on the news about how it was a very poor black town and why are we rebuilding it? And, you know, it got very racial. First of all, the city affected, I mean, the entire city was affected. I mean, my mom lived in a neighborhood that was predominantly white. There were black families there as well, but I mean, it was, you know, it was a mix and all those houses were were ruined, um, either outright destroyed or flooded so badly that they had to be, you know, reconstructed and everything. And so it wasn't just the poor black neighborhoods. It was, it was everyone that got affected, but yes, the, the, the African-American neighborhoods that were affected, it was really bad in, in a lot of cases because they had either insurance, they didn't have insurance or insurance companies, um, you know, cheated them. So it was it was hard for people to rebuild, to come back to the city. Um, so it definitely had an effect. And I was so angry listening to the national media and just them talking about why are we rebuilding New Orleans? It's in a bowl. And it's like, yeah, but when it was established, it was established upriver and it had all these wetlands to protect it. It's not like they picked a, a vulnerable place. They, they, you know, established a place that was protected. It's just because of things that the country has done in general in other places, it's affected down there. And so it's hard to hear that hear you know, hear people say, why are you going to rebuild that place when it's our entire nation that affected it, Um, including the Army Corps of Engineers that constructed levees that were not strong enough to withstand. They knew uh, the hurricane. They they knew they knew they weren't. And Katrina really proved that. So I I think that, yeah, there's definitely a negative aspect, but only in in a way because of humanity, (laughs) you know, because (laughs) things people have done. Otherwise, I think it's a wonderful place to establish a city and it's such an important port port town you know in in the country 
And there's um, nothing like being out on the bayous if you're fishing oh, God, or yes. just touring or kayaking like you did. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's an amazing place. The eco you know, the ecosystem of it. Yeah, the ecosystem yeah. is amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I remember right, there's a picture somewhere of you holding a little baby alligator. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, I, uh, I I just want to let you know that that alligator is probably now big enough to kill you. <laughs> Well, it's interesting because I, you know, I really love the history of the city, but I think I enjoyed kayaking in the bayou um, the most because, Mm -hmm. and it was a great tour and I highly recommend people, you know, get out the city when they visit because I learned so much about, uh, you know, the Louisiana um, uh, ecosystem and also what people are doing to try and bring back mm-hmm. a lot of, of a lot of that um, those yeah. islands and you know change the way the water flows right. it was really really interesting so like so many people just think it's about the parties but actually right. there's this very rich um, natural habitat as well now we could talk forever about this stuff but we're running yeah. out of time so I do I know I do want to ask you um, because you guys have obviously lived all over the place and you talk about New Orleans as being home but um you travel a lot in your RV um so what does travel mean to you um and how does it help your writing I think uh, Captain Jack Sparrow said it best it, it's freedom <laughs> it's it's the freedom to go and experience different cultures around the country uh it, it's inspirational to us mm-hmm. i mean when we travel with serenity um we try to stay in a place and do what the locals do um, and see what the locals, you know, what's important to them. And that's, uh, I think, a big part of our writing. Mm-hmm. I mean, not just all, all over the country, but in New Orleans as well. In fact, that's always my advice to anybody going to New Orleans. It's do what the locals do. Go where they go. Get off of Bourbon Street because that's not New Orleans. And you'll find that all around the country do what the locals do and we enjoy experiencing that. Right. And that's definitely what we do when we encourage people, you know, to, to explore the city. I mean, we, we tell them the same, you know, as you just said, that to get out of the city and go do swamp tours and plantation tours and really get to know the history of the region. But also in the city itself, we, we encourage people to go on Frenchman street in the Marigny. The spotted cat music club is our favorite place. It's got live jazz uh, and blues. It's awesome. Um, and it's so we want people to experience, you know, more of the culture uh, than just Bourbon Street has to offer. So, yeah, I think that Dan's right. I think when we travel, we try to do the same. We try to do what the locals do and really get to know a place. Uh, we don't tend to move around like a lot. We'll 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 move to a place and kind of stay there for a couple weeks, you know, and try to get to know it and then move on. And and I think that helps us to appreciate places a little better, you know, and and not just like tourists. We try to Get, get to know, you know, what people do and, and respect it um, from the point of view of, of the, right. the residents. Mm. Sorry, Dan. No, no, that, she just said everything I wanted to say. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, so, I'm, so, I'm so sorry. Um, okay, so apart from zombie chaos and your guidebook to the city, um, uh, let me start again. Sorry, this has fallen off the rails now. <laughs> um okay serious so fantastic now apart from zombie chaos and your guidebook what are some other books that you recommend reading that are either about new orleans or set in the city well i my my favorite author which is kind of funny because i write zombies i write sci-fi 
and write fantasy. But my favorite author is James Lee Burke. And James Lee Burke uh, grew up in southern Louisiana, New Orleans, New Iberia, which is uh, in Cajun country. Um, and uh, he wrote a book called uh, The Tin Roof Blowdown, which uh, is his story taking place uh, just after Katrina hits. And it follows a character that he's written over 20 books about the Dave Robichaux, who's a detective who starts off as a New Orleans detective and uh, eventually uh, moves to New Iberia and gets involved in a lot of different uh, mysteries. But his, his writing is so beautiful, uh, how he describes Southern Louisiana, how he describes New Orleans. Uh, in fact, one of his, uh, one of his main characters lives on the same street, just a couple of, of, uh, Doors down from where Laura and I lived. Uh, on Ursuline. Yeah. Or St. Anne. Yeah, yeah, that's right. No, it was Ursuline. Oh, it was Ursuline. Yeah. That's right. See, we've lived all over. We get very confused. <laughs> but yeah, I, I love James Lee Burke too. And definitely as a native, I think he just, uh, I feel that he captures uh, the city and the region very well. And Tin Roof Blowdown is highly recommended if you want to kind of get a native's point of view of sort of what happened after Katrina and everything immediately after. It's very interesting, but it's a, it's not, it's a novel, you know, it's fiction and other novels that I love uh, interview with a vampire. Of course, I kind yes. of feel like you have to read. Um, and a Confederacy of Dunces is a great book. It's very classic. John Kennedy, um, tool wrote it and he died, actually killed himself and his mother found it and actually had it published, uh, with the help of Walker Percy, the author of the movie goer. Um, and it's just, it's, it's, you know, it won the Pulitzer prize. I mean, it's so sad cause it's all posthumous, but, um, it's, uh, that's a wonderful book. It really captures the dialect and a lot of the landmarks of the city. Um, but I have to mention this Dan's favorite children's book of all time is the Cajun night before Christmas. It is awesome. <laughs> it's so funny. And I highly recommend it to anyone, children and adults alike. So, yeah. So, but there's so many, we could go on and on. I mean, I think even reading the cookbooks of new Orleans, get, you know, teaches you a lot about the history in the city. So it's, there's so many, it would, we'd be here forever. <laughs> no, that's fantastic. I love that, that Cajun children's book that, that just sounds a little different. <laughs> which yeah. It's fantastic. So um, where can people find you and your books online? Well, we have a website called themartones.com because, yes, we pretty much do everything together. And then um, also our books are mostly on, well, on Amazon right now. And um, I know how you feel about Amazon, but that's just where they are at the moment. And um, I think that uh, it I mostly I would say we have space opera and, you know, other other things out there. But I would I would say if you want to get a taste of New Orleans, read the first uh, book and the zombie chaos series. And you definitely it because it's our kind of messed up love letter to the city uh, with zombies. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Thanks, this Joe. is so much fun. Thanks for joining me today on the Books and Travel podcast. I hope you found a moment of escape. You can find the episode show notes at booksandtravel.page. And if you enjoy thrillers set in international locations, download one of my books for free at jfpen.com forward slash free. Happy travels until next time.